be a conservative. But what does conservative really mean these days? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Normally Saturdays from 3 to 6, but I have a bonus show this week. So we are on from 12 to 2. We are live, 404-872-0750 or 800-WSB-TALK. If you watched Trump's marathon CPAC speech yesterday, you'll know what my intro was talking about. He, uh, I, I was blown away by uh, one thing that he said right off the bat. And it, it kind of triggered me, I guess. So first of all, let's say hello to Binkley. Hey, Binkley, how are you doing? Fantastic. How are you? Great. My trusty producer here who I asked at the last minute this morning to just isolate this sound bite of Trump's from CPAC yesterday. And let's see if people can understand why it would trigger me. So uh, is it is it too soon for me to <laughs> make you jump in with both feet? And let's hear uh, that. It's like maybe 20 seconds. Let's hear that if you got it. So you had 17 Republicans plus me. And I was probably more of a conservative than a Republican. People just didn't quite understand that. They didn't understand it. I think now with what we've done with the judiciary and so many other things, I think they get it very well. And it's driving the other side crazy. It's driving me crazy because here's the thing. I was raised by a traditional conservative. I'm a libertarian. My father's a traditional conservative, my parents. And they... That traditional conservatism is kind of what, and this, like, people can't, I have to say this a couple of times because people don't, can't hear what I'm saying. It's classical liberalism. Now, liberalism, like in Europe, they still kind of use it this way, but liberalism meant freedom, freedom, like more freedom at the personal level as opposed to government, uh, the government level. So when you hear Europeans talk about liberals, they're really more talking about libertarians. And here, classical liberalism is the founding principle of the of this country. So our founders were classical liberals. It's a, an enlightenment. It came out of the enlightenment. And my father is a traditional conservative, which is kind of the modern word for for classical liberal. And what it what it was was this. Uh, it's f- fiscal conservatism. And basically, that's it, that the federal government has only one responsibility, or it's that they are defending physically the borders, national defense. And then the Supreme Court should arbitrate cases at that level. I actually don't even think the Supreme Court should decide whether congressional laws are constitutional i think that should be the states should nullify should just simply not obey congressional laws that are unconstitutional and congress the feds don't have an a domestic law enforcement arm in the constitution so there would be no way for them to come into your state and enforce unconstitutional laws then you have the fbi which i then was starting to think must be unconstitutional 
So, or at least undermines what that was. So you could just ignore the laws. There's nothing they could do about it. I guess um, they could invade, which they had, they did. But so, so I was raised to think that the federal government was very small and that was the only power, the powers they really had, very well-defined, narrowly defined powers. And that the only legitimate function of government is, is defense and dispute uh, reconciliation, dispute, arbitration, whatever. So when I hear people talk about conservative, it folded in all this other stuff. It's more like the Tea Party. Traditional conservative is more like the Tea Party. And then when I hear people talk about traditional, about being a conservative now, I think what they're really saying is that they're neoconservatives and they don't really even know that that's what it means. So this CPAC was full of young people. If you look at the audience, very young people. And they probably don't realize that there was a changing of the guard to conservatism, to neoconservatism from conservatism. And it not only embraces this idea of foreign intervention, which is the defense of this country is meant to secure the borders, not to control other countries on behalf of American interests abroad. There is no such thing. There's no government right to to pave the way for American interests abroad. So one of the best things I ever wrote was a um, a summary, a critique, whatever, of a book written by Irving Kristol, Bill Kristol's father. Bill Kristol, I think, is the editor of Weekly Standard or That's um, right. is that what he is doing right now? Thank yeah. You. And he's a shill on CNN. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I never watched CNN. So, so his father wrote a book, the auto, Neoconservatism, the Autobiography of an Idea. This was Irvin Kristol, his father. And, and they did. And, and actually, I'm going to give you the punchline first, which is he writes, I believe in the intro, he writes, I have been a neo-Marxist, a neo-Trotskyist, a neo-socialist, a neo-liberal, and finally a neo-conservative. If you hear that Marx, Trotsky, socialist, liberal, finally neo-conservative, that's not a progression that people who call themselves conservatives today would think was natural. But it is because they came in and they took over in order to use the power of government for their own purposes. And in the CPAC speech, Trump actually said, we are winning again. It used to be the rich people, the elite people were using the U.S. government for their own purposes or the U.S. country for their own purposes. And that stopped. But when he says he's a conservative, he can't possibly mean a real conservative because or a traditional conservative because we have a $1.3 trillion budget. We have a 23, something like that, trillion dollar national debt. He talks about his number one priority, number one. It's what he talks about the day he was elected, is an, a massive federal infrastructure project. These are not traditional conservative ideas. And then, but, but, he, but going into Venezuela, <laughs> involving ourselves in foreign policy like that, is a neoconservative thing. And if you don't believe me, I get a lot of flack for this. Uh, I can tell you, I'll read to you the 
some of the points from this neoconservative autobiography. It says, I'll just read, there's several quotes. I'll just read them over the course of the show. Start here. Uh, the Republican Party, this is a quote from the book, has never fully reconciled itself to the welfare state and therefore has never given comprehensive thought to the question of what a conservative welfare state would look like. The idea of a welfare state is in itself perfectly consistent with a conservative political philosophy. As Bismarck knew 100 years ago, in our urbanized, industrialized, highly mobile society, people need governmental action of some kind if they are to cope with many of their problems, old age, illness, unemployment, etc. They need such assistance. They demand it. They will get it. The only interesting political question is, how will they get it? This is not a question the Republican Party has faced up to because it still feels deep down that a welfare state is inconsistent with such traditional American virtues as self-reliance and individual liberty. Now, he wrote this like 40 years ago. So we I think the Republicans have reconciled themselves to a welfare state for sure. But what he said about Bismarck was not true. What Bismarck said to the Kaiser is these people after the during the Industrial Revolution, these people are getting too rich and independent. We need to take some of their money and make sure that they need it to be for their old age or whatever so that they will love you and their dependence. So the purpose, he's citing Bismarck. Bismarck wasn't there because, because the people were demanding government help because things were getting harder during industrial times. He was, they, it was getting easier. They were getting richer and they didn't need government. They weren't afraid, fiscally afraid anymore. And he knew that was going to erode the power of the authority. And so he wanted to institute that by taking the money and giving it back to them, making them need it. And that's exactly what Crystal wants, although he defines conservative welfare state a little differently. He says, the basic principle behind a conservative welfare state ought to be a simple one. Wherever possible, people should be allowed to keep their own money rather than having it transferred via taxes to the state, on condition they put it to certain defined uses. So that's Obamacare. That's what Obamacare was. It was just, and the defined use isn't even health, isn't even health care. It's health insurance. So when Trump says tariffs was going to help us take our, uh, our country back, that's what he talked about in the speech yesterday. I immediately thought that won't do it. It's it's the Fed. It's stopping the the people, the entity, the industry that funnels all the money up to the top is banking and insurance. And when you think about how the taxes work, what are your deductions? What are your mandates? Health insurance, uh, a mortgage, the interest on your mortgage. It's not health care. It's not rent. It's not the principal. It's the financial instruments. And that is a tax subsidy to the finance industry. That's where the swamp is. That's where the power is. Somebody asked me yesterday, who's us versus them? The them is where all the money is funneling up to the top. And and Crystal knows that. So uh, he and he goes further and he says, if the Republican Party were capable of thinking politically, thinking in terms of shaping the future, it would realize that its first priority is to shape the budget, not balance it. Then it could go to the electorate with the proper political questions. How do you want the budget balanced? By more taxes for government services or by lower taxes, lower government expenditures and incentives for the citizen to provide for his own welfare. So he talks about shaping the budget, not controlling it. And that is exactly what 
the new Republican Party and the new conservatives do. They don't. He goes on to say there is no political power without big government. So running on a platform of smaller government is a waste and it doesn't matter. He actually says that. It says, unless and until the Republican Party is willing to overcome its bookkeeping inhibitions and become a truly political party, it will be of only marginal significance which faction is in control or which candidate it proposes. So Ron Paul does them no good. They'd rather lose. They'd rather be second in a big welfare state, the welfare warfare super state, than be first in a limited government, limited constitutional government. That's what conservatism is now. And uh, there's more of this, (laughs) but I'm not going to read anymore. Maybe I'll read a couple of more things. But uh, I want to get into how that floats out into this uh, idea of socialism being um, Trump and Pence both down with socialism. Let's get into what that really even means. So, uh, and I'll take your calls after the break, 404-872-0750 or 800-WSB-TALK. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. And now for something completely different. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB. I am live today, 12 to 2, Sunday. Feel free to give me a call, 404-872-0750, 800-WSB-TALK. We were, I was just noticing, talking about Trump's speech at CPAC yesterday, where he calls himself a conservative, and in my, what drives me crazy is when he and Pence uh, denounce socialism while fully in support of the welfare warfare super state. They don't come out and say, we need limited government, restore the 10th Amendment. Uh, I just don't hear that. I hear... We need to to use the power and promise of big government for you because it's been used for the other people for too long. And actually, that it's funny because when he talks about tariffs, when he talks about controlling immigration, those are actually labor, labor positions in Europe. So in Europe, they don't have that. From what I see when I hear liberal, a lot of times they're talking about like libertarian, liberal meaning free. And uh, liberty and the what we would call liberals are their labor, their labor party. And traditionally, our Democrats were labor, so they would want tariffs. They would want immigration control to protect U.S. jobs, but they don't now. So what we have is that kind of labor driven, like it's almost like the Republican Party is morphing into this labor driven socialism. It is sort of fascism because they use it. It's. It's like the dialectic in the 20th century was socialist nationalism and socialist internationalism, like taking all the judgmental stuff out of it, all the Hitler stuff out of it, the fascist, like Mussolini type fascist versus the uh, communist stuff was really the difference between nationalism and internationalism. And now what it looks like we have is this idea of protecting the worker. I mean, I don't like the word nationalism, but it's kind of means something, you know, And then versus what has kind of completely removed itself from that and this cultural Marxism where it's all about identity is about internationalism. It's about diversity. It's like that is the other pillar of the dialectic. So I think it's important to get the terms right. And I want to talk about that and how that folds in with Ocasio and uh, and some stuff we were talking about yesterday. 
Be back with some calls, 800-WSB-TALK, or tweets at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. They think they control the galaxy. I disagree. On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. So yesterday I had a drop like that. It was Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, my favorite boxer. And I asked the first person who could tell who it was. His famous line is, big drama show. If you know any boxing, you know that's true. Nobody got it. <laughs> so I decided to do a different one. If you just heard that drop of they think they control the galaxy, I disagree. If you know who that was, you can get the prize pack by calling 404-741-0750. And the prize pack is a pair of tickets to see Casey and the Sunshine Band Thursday, March 14th at Cobb Energy Performance Performing Arts Center. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com and the Cobb Energy Center box office. So that number again is 404-741-0750 if you know who that was speaking. So, and if nobody gets it, we'll just give it away for nothing. (laughs) Uh, So, Binkley, my producer Binkley, in case you're just tuning in, my faithful sidekick. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? (laughs) I asked you that already. All right. So, here's the thing. I was talking about Trump at CPAC. It triggers me. I try not to get so... uh, immersed in ideology anymore because he's called himself a conservative you'd have to redefine conservative to call him that and when they denounce socialism you have to look at their calls for uh big spending their big budgets all that stuff and just uh uh, redefine all these terms i'm a staunch opponent of big government both because I don't like my money being stolen, but more importantly, because I think it's, it is actually immoral what they use it for. Both the welfare state and the warfare state is immoral. Because the welfare state, not only because it steals, but because when it gives, it, it dehumanizes and disempowers people. And it's, it's, in, it's important. They must make people feel disempowered in order for them to feel like they need welfare. So they deliberately, uh, Cloward and Priven, I, don't, I can't remember, the. I think those are the names, in the 60s, went in and deliberately targeted inner cities. And part of it was that getting this free money was contingent on breaking up the family, which creates a cycle of dependency. It's, immor- it's worse to steal the money than, it's worse to give it than to than just the stealing. And then, of course, the warfare state is going into other countries, uh, making America an exception to the law of nations, which requires respect for the sovereignty of others. So uh, I don't care about the terms anymore. I'm not even sure I care about which theory makes more sense, socialism or capitalism. But uh, I'm so disgusted that that the politics has gotten to the point where it's just a show. And uh, we it, it's there's very little good faith ideology anymore. And I think that's true on the right and the left. And I think what we're seeing is the showmanship on the right and the left. Uh, people love it. When I was watching that CPAC thing with Trump, he was really putting on a show. I mean, Ronald Reagan used to inspire you emotionally, make you feel like a better person. Trump, Trump does another service where he makes you feel like a winner. 
Like you're on the winning side. It makes you feel excited and winny. <laughs> Even if it has no content that previously would have been something that people wanted. Like a foreign intervention in Venezuela or $1.3 trillion budget or tariffs or infrastructure spending is just not a, a conservative or a Republican platform. So winning what? <laughs> you know? But you pointed out, Binkley... Something really interesting a long time ago, and I just did not, I, I didn't fully realize how true it was. You used to say Ocasio, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, was the Trump of the left. So yeah. uh, what made you say that? And then I'm going to say how, how prescient you are, how right you are, how ahead of the curve you were. She does publicity stunts the same way Trump does publicity stunts. Her whole thing is owning the conservatives. Trump's whole thing is owning the libs. And that's what gets people to rally behind them. And they're both great at it. Very interesting. So, yeah, and you're right. Like the I think there are other elements, too, where. She's vulgar. Yeah. You know, but it's but it's obvious. Hyperbole. Like, it's, it's more for, force. Yeah. And um. She has a very loose relationship with the facts. I'm not saying Trump does. I'm saying that's what they say about Trump, but that's what she does too. So yeah. that it just seems across the board, she's a uh, she, she, she's about the show. She's about the emotion. She's about the yeah. triggering. She's about having the nerve. That's yeah, having the nerve. That's a great way to put it. If you yeah. ever want to trigger a progressive, then say to them. Cortez is so smart, brilliant, knows exactly what she's doing. Pause and say she's just like Trump. <laughs> but she is like Trump, but not for those reasons. So, but here, so here's why you were prescient in that. It's it. This was a uh, Wall Street Journal article from last week by Buckley. I don't know which Buckley it was. Not a not a Buckley I knew. His initials, his first initial was F. Is it any wonder that we're charmed by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's dance video and her willingness to thumb her nose at the pieties of politics? Her ideas may be crazy, but we tune them out to enjoy the entertainment. Sound like someone you know? Yeah. <laughs> Is it any wonder? Let's replace that. Is it any wonder that we're charmed by President Trump's... Uh, S-hole comment and his willingness to thumb his nose at the pieties of politics. His ideas may be crazy, but we tune them out to enjoy the entertainment. I feel like you could literally say that about not I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that where as far as the meme goes, that's what I'm hearing. And then uh, just right like I think that day Ginny tweeted to us very uh, um, regular tweet. Just heard Rush saying how absurd the left is because they only love Ocasio-Cortez because she's new to politics, gets in Republicans' faces, and stands against <laughs> conservatism, which is hilarious when you consider most Republicans' top three reasons they love Trump is that list. Hashtag hypocritical much? <laughs> so she, she immediately picked up on this, what I call hashtag meme rising, that now it's out in the open. That Ocasio is Trump, and not only is it her leveraging off of that approach, 
but now they get to make it a dialectic in itself where you can say that and it'll really make the left mad, which, you know, is just a bonus. And everybody likes that. You know, you want to make each other mad. Like, that's what the Cohen testimony, to my mind, was about. Like, they could have, they can actually have an investigation and probably convict anyone in this country of something serious because there's like a million laws, like literally a million laws on the books. So if they want to get Trump and they confiscated millions of documents from Cohen, my guess is we didn't need uh, ambiguity and name calling to to put that thing to bed. But that's what we got because they like the fights. The fights are important. The personal stuff is important. When Trump did a CPAC speech, it was all, and then Comey came at me and then Mueller came at me and then this guy and I just gave him the one, two. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, excuse me, we have a $23 trillion debt. Do you not, is this not the conservative, whatever? So it's a culture war, man. It's a culture war. Cultural Marxism, that's what it's all about. And when we pivot to that, we play into that. Dean sent me a good article. I appreciate that, Dean. That I was trying to like figure out the Frankfurt School, which gave rise to cultural Marxism. What happened was, so the, the dialectic that they were working on in the 20th century was that, or how it was supposed to unfold, was the first... Communism was trying to take hold. Workers of the World Unite. It was not working. They just didn't have the critical mass. So they figured with the war, they could just show to people, hey, like, look, capitalism, it's their war. Forget it. Put down your arms and just rise up as like a third, whatever, fifth column, whatever. But they didn't. They all took up arms and defended their country. So the economic call to action could not trump that sense of national unity that people felt um, just ethnically. So what they did was they had to use identity to divide the people so that you could get, you could break down those national borders and have central world central control, which is what they want. So they start with women, they start with sexual orientation, stuff that's already a, a diverse, div creates diversity within a nation. But then they use immigration as a, and, and also natural ethnic divisions within um, nation states, but they use immigration as a weapon to get more disparate groups in the country to create division that the national borders can't hold. And so that's why you have cultural Marxism now as the power center of the left here, rather than the labor issues that are now being adopted by the right. It's kind of screwy. So, but yeah, so when you said it's a culture war, that's actually the essence of it. That's what that's what they decided to make it. And I remember in 2012, there was like a, quote, leaked document. I believe it was 2012 from the Obama campaign that said we're giving up on the white working class and we're just going for minorities like that was not news to anybody. But it but it validated in people's minds that there was an abandoned class that was ripe for the picking so it validates how trump got a power base i believe that populist stuff is baloney it was manufactured but the narrative is there and that's why people believe it now we have a culture war on our hands which isn't really based on anything but this rhetoric but these characters in my opinion so what were you but but they don't think it's funny right so what were you saying did you was it last night that you were watching tv and yeah, SNL did the Cohen hearing as their opening scene, and they had a character playing Cortez, and they can't even make fun of her. The insult on her 
was that she somebody said, are you going to do a dance Cortez? And she said, uh, no, I'm going to ask a bunch of really great questions because I'm amazing. That was basically the insult, <laughs> how amazing she is. And I'm sure that the audience just just cracked up hysterically. I mean, give me a break. No, comedy has really lost its humor on both sides. They can't make fun of their own because they just will not. They they are like dead freaking serious about that. And they won't make fun of the other side because it humanizes them. Yeah. So they won't do that either. My uncle is a Catholic priest and he turned me on to Murray Rothbard, who's an anarchist. So I think that's kind of funny. But um, he said, he said something like this. Catholics are the only ones, I'm not saying this, but I guess let, let, I'll modify for him. People with objective standards or an idea of an objective truth are the only people with humor anymore because the essence of humor is the unexpected. And it's only if you expect can there be unexpected. But if you have subjectivism, if you have anything goes, if you have pure relativism, you are trained to accept even the most preposterous ideas as okay, as something you can't laugh at, that you have to accept. And so the essence of that, of the culture war, of, the, of that relativism, of moving, of, of not having objective principles, solid, is that you really, there is no humor because there are no standards. Anyway, now I think I had like five could you, what the heck is she talking about? Moments, which you're here to prevent. These are all my deep thoughts, I guess, <laughs> my Sunday philosophies. So uh, we can, let's open it up to calls in case I did say anything. I was like, what is she talking about? 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Jackie, stay on the line. Jacqueline, sorry. Stay on the line. I'll get you after the break. And uh, you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show. Monica Perez. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I thought somebody would win the prize pack this time around. It's Rick and Morty, my new favorite show. <laughs> but uh, not safe for kids. People are like, what? She said to listen to the watch this. No, watch it at 11 o'clock at night. Everybody's asleep. So, uh, okay, let's take a call. I want to go to Jacqueline. Jacqueline, you are on with Monica. How you doing? Hey, Monica. I'm good. It's ATL Connector. Am I right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I want to hear what you have to say, and then I have a question for you, and we have, I think, two minutes. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to a friend of my, a friend of mine had. Sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback, and I'm not on speaker. Um, a friend, a friend of mine had said that he loves AOC because she's just so rebellious and against the grain, <laughs> and he hates Trump. And I'm thinking they do the exact same thing with their rhetoric. Uh, yes, they do. And I want at the in the next segment, I don't have time right now, but I'll actually debunk that. She's she's not rebellious and against the grain. She's a created person. I think the same thing about Trump. And uh, so maybe I'll, I'll give you the reasons why after the break. But you I wanted to ask you something else. You came to one of my uh, get togethers, Liberty on the Rocks. And I remember uh, you identifying yourself as a conservative and I want to know, I'm running out of time. Can you tell me in 15 seconds uh, what that means to you? That means that I am a constitutionalist. I believe in my constitution and I love my country. I like it. I'm going to write that down. 
uh, or mark it. Let's mark that, and maybe we'll make a drop out of it. Uh, okay, thank you so much. And right, thanks, Marco. Thank your you, Twitter. Yeah, but uh, I've been on her um, at, at ATL Connectors show. I'll do it again, Jacqueline, because I love different perspectives. So let's get to that AOC stuff and the Trump stuff after the break. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.